What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, MLB edition, National League. I'm your host, Colin Wilson. We're going to go over some more Major League Baseball today from a National League standpoint. And I'm joined by MLB expert Sean Zarillo from the Action Network. Sean, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. How are you? You and I can see each other as we cut these videos and you got all this Mets stuff on, you know? Like, I love seeing you in the Mets gear because it brings back a lot of good, positive memories. Yeah, that, that wasn't the best memories for me. You know, you guys might have been the last World Series champion that didn't cheat. So uh, the, the last untainted World Series champion, the Kansas City Royals, perhaps. Everybody keep in mind March 23rd, March 24th. I believe the Indians are playing the Astros in spring training ball. And if Mike Clevenger's on the mound, there's going to be – I think well, – let's, let let's say this uh, here as we start the podcast and we'll listen to it at the end of the year. Over under number of beans that uh, Alex Bregman's going to take. I'll set the number at nine and a half. I mean, it's going to it's going to end up in an automatic ejection, right? I mean, the umpire's not stupid. But how many times do you think? I mean, it could be a middle reliever, it could be a guy that's up for a cup of coffee. How many times do you think Bregman's going to get hit? I'll set it at nine and a half. How many different teams did they play? They they got uh, what fourteen <laughs> to play in their league, and then five at least in another league. So right, maybe bump it up closer to uh, fifteen. For the teams that we introduce, we'll go through what their projected Vegas win total was in 2019, what they finished at, what their Pythag number was. Pythag looks at runs scored versus runs against and says, well, did you really – were you supposed to win this many games? I know we're going to bring up the San Francisco Giants in this podcast. We're going to talk about how many games they won, you know, just one-run ball games. It was a pretty amazing stat. There should be some regression there. And then we're going to talk about some of the other projection systems. Since we've done the AL podcast, Pakoda has come out with their projections, so we're going to include a little bit of talk about them. Sean had a great tweet out today about how you probably can't trust Pakoda in some of their projections. I know we just talked about the Royals in 2015. I think they were projected to win 70 games in a year. They won over 95. High fly ball to center, and that ball's hit. Upton going back. Back to the wall. Home run. We'll go ahead and start with the Dodgers. There's no reason to think that somebody else is going to win this division because of the moves that they've made. I don't know how in the world you pull – you already have Cody Bellinger and you're able to pull off a trade for Mookie Betts. Now, I know that they had to inherit the contract of, of David Price, but their 2019 projected win total, 93 wins. They ended up with 106. Pythag says that they should have won 107, so no fluke, no joke in them. They're at the Westgate at 100 and a half, 100.5 for their win total you've got to project it at 100 uh so obviously you think the number's pretty good yeah pretty much everybody in the market is between 100 and Picota's is the highest at 103 so this is clearly one of the two best teams in baseball we talked about the yankees you know the other day and i said i have them pretty much neck and neck within a tenth of a one each other you know in terms of true talent 
if you take Bellinger and Betts off of this team, they probably still win 94 games. That's, that's how much talent there is on this roster besides those two superstars. And then just adding them, you know, it really puts it over the top. So they're loaded from top to bottom. This organization is so built up. This isn't just a major league roster. This is a team and an organization that has six top 100 prospects, a bunch that are on the cusp of the major leagues. I mean, if I'm being honest, they could still go out and swing a trade for Francisco Lindor. I don't know how they would fit it in if they would get rid of Seager or or what have you, but they absolutely have the pieces to swing that trade and would certainly be willing to, uh, you know, insert another guy like that into their lineup. So excellent defensive team. You know, Betts doesn't really fill an area that was a problem last year. He's plus 93, though, in right field over the past three years. The the closest right fielder to him is Aaron Judge, who has half that many runs saved. Kind of shuffled up the pitching rotation a little bit. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, Maeda, Rich Hill all gone. Brought in Price in that batch trade. But they have have plenty of prospects to, uh, you know, round out that rotation. Bought him Blake Trinan, who, who knows, maybe he takes over the closer role by the end of the year. So interesting Dodger team outside of the stars that they have. And, uh... It's going to be interesting to see, you know, between the Dodgers and Yankees, who could win more games. Tell me more about their prospects, because I live here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is the double A to the Dodgers, the, the drillers that we have here in town. And Oklahoma City is right down the road, and that's their triple A. And I've seen a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about. But let some of the people know, like, who, what do the Dodgers have? If they're so rich in the farm. Who is it that we might see this year? Yeah, so Gavin Walks, who came up at the end of last year, he was in the playoffs. He could handle shortstop, but he was playing second base because Seager's at shortstop. So he was basically a piece that they were unwilling to part with in order to get Lindor unwilling to part with at all for Betts. That wasn't really realistic considering Betts' one year remaining on his contract. But then they, you know, they have young catchers. They brought up Will Smith last year, the Fresh Prince of LA. Guy has a lot of power. They have Cabert Ruiz, who's a switch hitter. He's in AAA right now. They got those guys. They got Josiah Gray, who was a pitching prospect. He was a converted college shortstop. And then you guys probably remember Dustin May from last year with the, the sweet red lettuce coming in, throwing flames. He's got high spin on all his pitches. And I, I think he's poised to potentially become their number three pitcher this year. There's a lot of things about this Dodgers team. They're extremely deep, not not just talented. They're extremely deep. Uh, should be interesting to see what they do with Mookie at, at the conclusion of this season. I know the Angels are right around the corner to offer him a $400 million contract or probably some ownership or something like the Angels always do. But as far as the win total goes, we think anything under the 100 and a half is probably worth a play. There may be some steam here in the last month before we actually get the first pitch. So did you say anything at 101 and above, it's, it's worth maybe a little bit of a play? The, the division odds on, on, on the Dodgers are always inflated. The World Series odds are a little bit inflated, even though they kind of earn it with what they have. But the win total may be the best bet. Yeah, the win total bounced around. It kind of opened closer to 100, got that down to 98. Now it's back over 100 now that Betts is on the team. So I took a little stab at 100 early. Obviously, you know, it, it moved my way initially, and then Betts swung it back the wrong direction. We mentioned that stat on the AO pod about the the five teams who've had win totals over 100 in the past decade have all gone under. So, you know, if you're willing to fade a team that's as good as the Dodgers, that's the way to go. I wouldn't bet against them in the division. Well, so many people love Pakoda, and Pakoda has them at 103. So maybe we get a little bump up in the win total here as we get through spring training and I get some value on the under here. And Scott Rowland hits one into deep left field. Back at the wall. 
Contending wise, well, that leads us to the Diamondbacks. Now, I love the Diamondbacks. I know you and I were kind of looking at their futures in different categories. When we look at their 2019 season, their odds were set by Vegas and Jersey uh, at 75 and a half. They came in at 85 wins, so they exceeded expectations. And Pythag says they should have been even better at that with 88. Sean, your projection is at 87. Meanwhile, Jersey, Vegas, they've got this number out at 83 and a half. I think this is, uh, you know, saying that maybe the Diamondbacks are a little bit disrespected in the market right now. So this team didn't underachieve at all last year. They didn't overachieve. They pretty much hit what Pythag said that they should. You know, they're a good team. And I think they got a little bit better this offseason, trading for Starling Marte, adding Cole Calhoun to right field. Their, their outfield was a little bit of a problem last year. Let's Kettle Marte slide back down to second base, giving them a pretty dynamic middle infield with him and Nick Ahmed. Arguably the best defensive team in baseball over the past two years. Um, last year, they only finished behind the Dodgers and DRS, plus 112. Two years ago, they were plus 148, and the closest team to them was plus 107. And beyond that, it was plus 67. So miles and miles ahead of all the other teams defensively. Interesting to see what they're going to do with Robbie Ray. I've heard that they're going to trade him pretty much since the beginning. Heard that since last season. They have a ton of starting pitching depth. Lots of guys in the minors who are very intriguing. If you go by projections, and based on my eye test from last year, Zach Allen is their best starter, and he's only in the mix to be their number five starter right now. He might not even make their rotation out of spring training. So they, they're pretty loaded in terms of pitching depth. I certainly think that they could trade Ray and totally be fine, perhaps upgrade their lineup a little bit or just have more prospects. So this is a pretty complete team. They just don't have you know many true stars, I would say. Yeah, and Starling Marte is someone who, in front of a fantasy league that I'm absolutely targeting, and it's because people don't realize, and according to Park Factors, and you know, PNC Park was not the greatest place in the world to hit home runs, and it's just a completely different story playing down in Arizona. So he's somebody that I think is going to have a better offensive impact playing for the Diamondbacks. And boy, you do not want to be in this division, a team that has a high strikeout rate offensively against left-handers because Bumgarner, you know, Robbie Ray, if he does hang around. I know that there was different stints last year where we uh, had had some bets on Merrill Kelly. There were, he, had, he did have a couple starts that I personally backed him up in. But yeah, they're a very deep starting staff. And there's no reason why this isn't one of the teams that can grab the wild card spot. Can they win the division? Highly unlikely. But they definitely have the talent, I think, to uh, push for that wild card uh, and get over that 83 and a half. We see Pakoda came out at 79. Now we're, we mentioned the Pakoda because people are familiar with Pakoda and zips and, and, and the Davenport. And I think, you know, gravitate towards that. And they'll make just auto blind bets on the win total based upon what they see with Pakoda. And I think Pakoda coming out at 79 may give us opportunity to get a better number on the Diamondbacks before we actually get the first pitch. Um, other than that, do you see anything from a fantasy perspective that you're targeting? Uh, you know, the closer role is interesting. Archie Bradley was much better in the second half than the first half. So he, he could be shaky and give it up to Rondon who they brought in from the Astros or, you know, potentially somebody else steps up and grabs that. I just really like Gallon. I think he's a guy worth pursuing. You know, he's not a super sleeper in that you're going to get him for nothing. But I think at the bottom of your draft, he's, he's worth saving some money for or taking a round earlier than you expect him to go. I just I think that guy's an absolute stud. The Marlins traded him because they thought he got to his – peak pretty quickly but he's very polished and uh, like I said I think he's the Diamondbacks pitcher already 
Yeah, I completely agree. And shout out to Archie Bradley. He actually graduated from a high school that's two miles here from my house. So and he's uh, he's he's super great around town. And, and even when kids recognize him, he's uh, he's a really nice guy. So our bets for the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, we definitely like the over. I'm going to wait on this 83 and a half. I think with the Dakota projection and the love for the Dodgers, I think there could be a chance that maybe the 83 and a half comes down. Shop for the best line, bet the best line. And so I think 82 and a half is, if you can find that out there, DraftKings and FanDuel, MGM, that's what you would want to bet. There are some World Series numbers out there. And, you know, once you make it to the playoffs and you're in a wild card situation, anything can happen. Uh, maybe we should <laughs> get to the end of the podcast to talk about the new rules for the playoffs because I have some interesting opinions. I was kind of lukewarm on it. Then I was kind of mad about it. And then I was like, well, I think this could work. But uh, I think any team that says we're going to pick our opponent, they're, they're going to end up getting beat. I think that's the, the the most hilarious thing about this. I can't wait for the series where a team is like, yeah, we definitely want to play you, and they actually win. We know how this is going to turn out. And in general, with, with Major League Baseball, wild card teams always come in hot. I mean, they've had to play a number of games just to qualify to make the wild card. There are so many examples of wild card teams making it to the World Series and winning the World Series that this new playoff format is definitely one of the more interesting things I've ever seen. The one thing I worry about is I saw a statistic that said if we went to this playoff format in the last hundred years, a team with 79 wins would have made the playoffs. And I think that downgrades an extremely long season. So do you have any thoughts about the proposed Manfred uh, playoff format? Yeah, I think anytime you propose something that all the players vehemently disagree with, that's probably a bad sign. Could certainly be exciting, you know, TV networks, all that. I'm sure they love it for those reasons. More, more elimination games, you know, certainly increases ratings, but at the same time, there's a good Fangraphs article describing how that's going to decrease competitiveness. Basically, it makes it less advantageous for winning your division and, and decreases the value of competition. So, you know, most, most rules in life, most laws that are created end up having opposite effects of what you intend them to. Baseball needs to tread really carefully in making a huge change like this to their playoff format. Well, I hate to agree with Trevor Bauer on anything, but he's right about so many things as far as as far as MLB broadcasts and sharing clips about the game and just, just the way that the whole product is handled with MLB is so much different than the NBA and the NFL. And you can see the difference uh, with the, the growth, you know, the fan base that's maybe shrinking, but it's definitely not growing. Davis hits one high and deep to right field. Back goes Betts at the wall. He leaps. Did he get it? He did. Unbelievable catch by Mookie Betts. We're going to move on to the Giants. I mentioned earlier about the Giants that they uh, had the best record, one of the best records uh, in, in like the last 10 years in one-run ball games. They had a projected win total from Vegas uh, odds makers at 73 and a half. They had 2019 wins finished up at 77. Pathag says that they should have had 71. So you can give some of that overachievement there in their win total to the fact that they won so many one-run ball games. Westgate has them at 68 and a half for their win total. Sean, you have them at 66. So there's definitely a uh, Pakoda just came out at 68, which is right on the number that Vegas has it right now. But your projection is at 66. So are we looking to go under on these guys? The more I look at this roster, the more I get skeptical about playing an under. They have added a decent amount of veteran talent. They recently signed Hunter Pence. They brought in some veteran pitchers like Kevin Gaussman, Drew Smiley. They did lose a lot. Baumgartner being gone, Will Smith being gone, probably their two best pitchers. Steven Vogt, arguably their best hitter last year. So they're in full rebuild mode still. Posey's been a disaster the past few years. Joey Bart, who's their top prospect to replace him, isn't going to be up for next year, most likely. But they have a decent amount of pitching depth. I trust Zaidi to have, you know, kind of a plan in place. I mean, he was 
the most sought after executive in baseball, arguably when the, the Giants pursued him from the Dodgers. So at this point, it's 68 and a half. The value might be gone from it. I believe that number opened a little bit over 70, and that might have been the time to pounce. So slight value maybe or lean at this point, but uh, I, I don't think there's substantial or actionable value on it. Yeah, there's going to be one of these seasons where Drew Smiley actually isn't hurt and he can he can be fantastic. He can be an all-star. He's got the stuff. He's got the talent to do that. So that was a really good signing for them. You know, we'll look, wait and see on the number. The, the value may be out of it now that it's around 68 and a half. You know, from a fantasy perspective, considering this team is in a rebuild, do you see anything from, from that standpoint? Besides Smiley, who, uh, you know, I, I, I targeted, do you see anyone else on the roster worth taking value in sort of, you know, their ADP with certain drafts? Yeah, Mauricio DeBowen was a highly sought-after infielder for a little bit with the Brewers. He's on the, the Giants roster now. So he, he could be a 15-15 guy over the course of the full season if he gets the at-bats. They don't really have a ton of pitching that I'm interested in. Uh, they have a, you know, a bunch of guys in AAA who have been up and down, Logan Webb, guys like that. But, you know, overall, their, their bullpen is kind of a disaster, so there's really no closer candidates I'm going to be trying to pursue. Johnny Cueto showed some stuff at the end of last year that – might have been intriguing. I mean, he's still Johnny Coito. You know, who knows? He's a, he's a pitcher, not a thrower. But overall, no, not a not a team I'm particularly interested from a fantasy perspective. I mean, the Giants struggle to score runs, so I think if anything, you have to look towards their pitchers. A thankless job. Long fly ball, left field. Braun giving chase at the wall, leaps and makes the catch. Moving on in the NL West, we're going to go to Colorado. Colorado last year, they had a Vegas win total set at 84 and a half. They only came up with 71 wins, massively underachieved from what the projections were from Vegas. Pythag says that they should have gotten 71 wins. We can see right now the Westgate has them at 73 and a half. Pakota just got released at 77. Sean, you've got them projected at 73 right where their current number is. So you would think that there's no value on this team whatsoever. And how much of that value is actually tied into Nolan Arenado, which who has one of the craziest home road splits and offensive, you know, stats that I've seen since, uh, you know, maybe Larry Walker was playing there. Or maybe some of the other <laughs> former Rockies were playing in Coors Field. He doesn't have as much value or near as much value as the offensive numbers that he puts up when he plays in Coors. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of his value is tied up in defense as well. He's he's a fantastic two-way player. Set in the AL pod. I think Chapman's a better defender than him, and the numbers back it up. But Arenado's story, that's an incredible left side of the infield, arguably as good as anyone. They didn't really add anything this offseason, and by didn't really add anything, I mean they only made minor league signings. Ubaldo Jimenez is back in their minor league, so that's fun. Hopefully he gets a spot start back in the majors and we get some uh, nostalgia with this Cy Young year. But they didn't lose anything substantial either. So this is pretty much the same team that they had last year, just with maybe some young players added to the roster. You know, David Dahl played the most games that he's ever played last year, continued to develop. Ryan McMahon continued to develop at second base. Their, their lineup has potential. They have a lot of guys who can hit, a lot of guys with good hit tools. They've just continued to invest first-round picks in, in their pitching department and had a rotation, I believe, full of first-round picks the past couple of years, and nothing has panned out. Uh, John Gray had a good year last year. Marquez can bounce back. His peripheral suggests that he can. But Kyle Freeland fell off the absolute face of the earth. So mm-hmm. getting guys like that at the bottom of their rotation back healthy and back performing is key to them doing anything. They have a lot of tied, money tied up in Arenado and Charlie Blackman. They can't really upgrade their roster. Their bullpen's not fantastic. So, you know, they're, they're really relying on breakouts from guys like Sam Hilliard or Garrett Hampson to, to bring them to the next level. 
David Dahl was had a major back injury and came back from that, and so he's finally playing enough games and producing like you would expect from a Rockies outfielder. Kyle Freeland was money two years ago. You could you could back him with your money every time he took the mound, and uh, you know that just didn't show up at all last year. Pakota is really high on these guys at seventy seven, and I think a lot of that has to deal with the offense and Charlie Blackman still being there. I have to wonder like if they're going to be sellers at the deadline or if this is a team that's going to be six games out and still think that they can get into the wild card race. Uh, do you have any feel on whether they're going to be buyers or sellers, no matter what their standings are? It seems based on the way the Arenado conversation is trended that they they want to be sellers. But then the owner comes out and says that they're going to win 95 games or 97 games. And who, who really knows? They should they certainly should be sellers compared to how the rest of the division is stacking up. Well, we haven't talked about the Padres yet, but the Padres and D-backs clearly seem like they're ahead of them. I, I just don't know what you know, pieces they have that they could sell off that are so viable or that are so interesting other than Arenado. And Arenado is a huge contract attached to him. Charlie Blackman is a huge contract attached to him. They're not going to be able to move him. Daniel right. Murphy hasn't hit well since his microfracture knee surgery. So I don't really know what pieces they have that are, are so valued other than potentially Gray or, or Marquez moving them out of Colorado. So really the, the Rockies are kind of in a tough spot here for the next few years while, while they have all this money tied up in those two big guys. He hits one high toward left field. Back near the wall is Sam. A, a catch by Griffey. To round out the NL West, we will go with the team that everybody had an over on. Everybody had uh, maybe a World Series future on. Everybody was talking about, uh, and that is the San Diego Padres. Uh, San Diego Padres uh, were, I don't want to call them a dark horse, but at least they were a team that was you know voted most likely to exceed expectations last year. Uh, they had a Vegas win total set at 78 and a half. They came in at 70 wins. Pythag says that they should have once had 70 wins. Right now, Westgate has them at 82 and a half. Sean, your projection has them at 84, while Pakoda just came in fresh with a 79 number, which may generate a few under betting tickets. You know, they're trying to grow. The, the kids on the farm are getting older. They needed some clubhouse leadership. That's why they went out and got Eric Hosmer. And I know people were upset when they went out and got Haas because of his defensive metrics. And, uh, you know, but he is a clubhouse guy and they have a lot of young talent and they're trying to put something together here, but 70 wins last year just didn't get it done. You know, I think it, it's worth mentioning that Manny Machado had maybe one of the worst seasons from a fantasy perspective. He was one of the biggest uh, reasons why I probably didn't win my leagues outright is because it's a guy that you draft in round one or round two, and he just completely did not live up to anything in his first year. It could be league switch from the Orioles, not sure. Uh, what is it you see with the Padres this year? Yeah, so A.J. Preller has never been afraid to shuffle up his roster. Uh, but since he got there in 2015 when they they made the Upton trade, the Campbell trade, that was the best season that they've had his entire tenure there. So they, they completely broke it down, reloaded after that. They were supposed to gain a little bit of ground last year and didn't really do that. They fell flat. When Tatis Jr. was in the lineup, they were a pretty excellent team and an above-average offense. When he was out of the lineup, they weren't. He has a lot of tools defensively, really struggled with his throwing accuracy last year, which is why the, the metric dinged him. But I think he can make improvements in those areas. And in terms of offense, he's, he's a 30-30 talent probably starting this year. So Tatis, Machado, again, another fantastic left side of the infield. I think Machado will bounce back. He's, he's bounced back from four years before. They just have a ton of prospects that are all coming up at the same time, especially in pitching. But they, they added Tommy Pham this offseason. It was kind of a mutually beneficial trade, if you think about it, in terms of the two trades with the Padres getting fam for essentially Renfro and, and Margot. They have different needs, these two teams, and San Diego needed one singular player instead of needing to 
keep platooning guys, but adding Pomerantz to the bullpen, Emilio Pagan to the bullpen for Margot. They have one of the best bullpens in baseball, arguably the best bullpen in the National League. Chris Paddock really showed some good stuff last year. They have tons of pitching prospects who are coming up. Mackenzie Gore is the number four prospect in baseball. You know, Michelle Baez will probably get moved to the bullpen. He's a huge Cuban pitcher. But, they, you know, they, they just have plenty of pieces, plenty of dudes who throw really hard. Denison Lamette broke out a little bit last year, 40% swinging strike rate. I think he could be a top of the rotation arm. So a lot of interesting pieces on this team. They have an inexperienced manager. So I'll be curious to see how he handles this team, especially in the early going. Yeah, Garrett Richards, Joey Lachesi, Denison Lament. I mean, these are all guys that have a higher ceiling than what they performed at and definitely could be, uh, you know, game changers for San Diego and for the amount of wins that they have. Kirby Yates, one of the best closers in the game by far. Craig Stammen. I, th- I like Louis Perdomo is still in, you know, back there because he kind of fills in as a fifth guy in the rotation. He can do long relief. He can do a lot of different things for them. Uh, Perdomo has, <laughs> he's one of those pitchers that will have a good three or four starts that you can back him in sometime in August or July. Uh, so yeah, this is a team I like a lot and I'm not sure if it's just that people have forgot about them or, or why Pakota is, you know, not as high on their projections and, you know, after last season, but I think this is a team that I possibly will look to have an over on. Uh, I do like the Padres. I think they're on the up. It's really hard because I know we're going to get to the Cincinnati Reds, but teams that are loaded with former Royals, I just love to back them for a reason for a reason so um, and it's interesting too because Picota projected all four teams besides the Dodgers and the NL West under 500 and that just seems like yeah. that's not going to be the case you know these these teams seem to stand to improve Arizona and San Diego specifically so if, if both finish under 500 I think I'd be pretty surprised at the end of the year yeah, I, I completely agree. And we'll see how the Giants do with how good they did in one run ball games last year and uh, where the Padres go after disappointing from what they were projected at last year. Do you see anything from a division perspective that would get you to lay some money down? Not really. You know, I, I saw the D-backs at 66 to one right after the Marte trade. So I hit that. I like their over a little bit. But beyond that, the NL West is the one division, I, I guess, along with the ALEs. The, the two favorites just seem too substantial. You know, maybe a little bit of taste on the Rays, but... I don't think there's anybody in the NL West who's going to directly challenge the Dodgers. The Dodgers is just better in each category, basically. You know, they they have the depth and the quality where Arizona has has depth. So they can uh, thrive on depth in the regular season, but I don't see them outclassing the Dodgers. I agree. Let's go to a division that generally has a whole bunch of teams that are consistently in the race, could tie each other and have some crazy extra playoff games, and that's the NL Central. You start pacing yourself. That's high. He Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, they've been decking it out. The Reds got better. Uh, I thought the Pirates would be getting better. They're actually getting worse. This is a division that's always tight. We're going to start off with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, You know, last year, Vegas set their win total at 88. They exceeded that with 91 wins. Pathag said that they should have had 92. Westgate right now has the St. Louis Cardinals at 87 and a half. Sean, you have them projected at 85. Uh, Pakoda came in at 80. I, I don't know if I've seen a St. Louis Cardinals projection that low uh, over a number of years. Uh, I'm not really sure any moves that they've made, you know, should have them 11 wins less in a projection than what they achieved last year. What do you see with the Cardinals? Yeah, so it wasn't even just Dakota that came in low. Davenport has them at 79. Fangraphs War, I believe, has them at around 80. So pretty much the entire market of projections other than myself has the Cardinals, uh, you know, around a 500 club. I think it's just a step back in general for the NL Central. Nobody made substantial 
moves to upgrade themselves other than the Reds. You know, the Cardinals lost Ozuna, made some trades with the the Rays to bring in uh, prospects like Matthew Liberator. So it's it's interesting how they've treaded water. They don't have the most impressive rotation behind Flaherty. I think this guy, Kwang Young Kim, who they brought in from Korea, could be really interesting, actually. He was considered the best pitcher in Korea. He seems really polished. He improved his velocity after 2017. He had Tommy John surgery. Throws a pretty cool fork ball. So I like when these teams go out and bring in these guys from Korea and uh, Japan who major leaguers haven't seen before, especially the first time through the league. They, they tend to have an advantage and can be interesting to bet on. The Cardinals have some depth in the minors. They have, they have some interesting prospects. Curious to see what they do with Alex Reyes, what they do with Carlos Martinez this year. So they have some question marks. This is a team who's overachieved my entire lifetime. You know, they, they always seem to exceed expectations. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won the NL Central again, despite what prognosticators are calling for. So they're going out and trying to trade for one of the best third basemen, you know, with Nolan Arenado. And, you know, they already have Matt Carpenter there, but he's versatile. He could play anywhere in the infield. Shouldn't they be trying to trade for somebody in the bullpen? This bullpen is, is just a, a long list of vanilla, right? I mean, is this the biggest need for the Cardinals and something you think they'll go after at the deadline? Arguably, yeah. I mean, they have some guys, like I mentioned, Carlos Martinez, Alex Reyes, who they could potentially turn into relievers. That's something the Cardinals have always excelled at, especially when they first bring up starting pitchers. They like to roll them through the, the bullpen first for a turn, just to get them used mm-hmm. to the big leagues, which I think is how most young pitchers should be handled and something other organizations should model themselves on. But I can't disagree. Andrew Miller's control has been a disaster for two straight years. I kind of like Giovanni Gallegos a little bit. I think he's interesting. But uh, Martinez was shaky in the closer's role. Adding some some depth to that bullpen is is probably a need. Uh, I think their outfield is a little bit of concern as well. I rostered Harrison Bader for a full month to start last season. I don't think I've seen worse stats from a kid uh, coming up through. I think his average was below 100 through the first month of the season. But uh, He's all defense. He's all defense. You know, not a – He's uh, got a lot. I remember uh, for the number of Cardinals games I went to, he's uh, got some good looking socks and probably impresses the ladies a little bit, but his batting average was pretty horrific. into the Milwaukee Brewers. Last year, they finished with 89 wins. That exceeded the Vegas win total of 86 and a half. Says, Pathag says that they should have had 81 wins, eight games lower than what they actually finished at, which says that they overachieved quite a bit. Westgate has them at 82 and a half for the Milwaukee Brewers. Sean, you've got them projected at 82. So it looks like there's no value here. Pakota just freshly came out at 79. Uh, but like we said, that's just the, the division in general. Uh, but the, again, here we have a, another projection of a team under 500. Uh, what do you see with the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah, so the Brewers are always a tough team to project because they, they play the game so differently than everybody else. They, they deploy their bullpen so aggressively. They shift so aggressively. Out of roster turnover this offseason, bringing in Luis Arias in a trade. Obviously, Garcia uh, trading for Eric Sogard, signing Justin Smoke. So they, they have a lot of depth, uh, but they did lose Grandal. They lost Moustakas. So they lost some higher end players. You know, they, they have some nice bats, and it's going to be interesting to see how Yelich recovers from his broken kneecap. Ports are that he's fine. He says he's not limited in spring training. So it's pretty encouraging, but. You know, if you're a fantasy player, do you expect him to run and steal 30 bases this year? Maybe not. The Brewers of Council send guys a lot. So, obviously, El Garcia, for that reason, could be a good stolen base threat. Maybe pick up a few extra steals than you'd expect. 
you know, the real question marks are just how do they compile their innings? Who do they get them from? I don't really see a pitcher on this roster who I would project for more than 140, 150 innings. Brandon Woodruff is quality. Adrian Hauser's quality. Like they, they have some good guys, but Josh Hader faded late in the year, which is why they were looking to trade him earlier this offseason and still may. You know, this was a team that was basically treading water up until the trade deadline. It seemed like they were going to sell, and then they went on a little run. Clearly defied Pythag, almost won the wild card game, should have over the over the Nats until Hater blew it. So who knows? Maybe they went on a run, and we, we look at this whole thing differently. The, the Nats don't win the World Series. The cheating Astros win another World Series, and this thing is even worse. So Milwaukee is is an interesting team to watch. They have some interesting players. The fact that they keep rebuilding this thing with spare parts too is is pretty cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And I, there's just a lot of question marks on this team for me. Like Brandon Woodworth is a converted closer, and I know that he was on an innings cap, I think, last year. And it would be interesting to see if he has any kind of innings cap on him this season. He's got the stuff. But for me, when I was betting on him last year, it seemed like his second or third time through the rotation, hitters picked up on his stuff pretty quickly. And, you know, if you look at the rest of this, does Corey Knable have anything left in that arm that was magical for a while before injuries set in on him? Hater, uh, I, we don't know if he's going to bounce back whatsoever, especially. Uh, and where is the <laughs> psyche of the kid after giving up that blown save? And, you know, does Lorenzo Cain have any juice in him to still steal 20 bases? Avisil Garcia was, you know, a, a, someone where we didn't know where his ceiling was as a prospect. And, and Ryan Braun is still playing quality baseball. Might be a more valuable fantasy guy. He's just got less of a platoon partner. Yeah, yeah, completely. So this is a team that, that that's patchwork putting it together. Don't count them out. I, we're not definitely not going to fade these guys, but who knows? I think they're one of these teams that could swing either ways at the at the, at the trade deadline where they might want to sell the house or they might want to buy something. So they'll be we'll competitive no matter what for sure. Off the green light, they do, and he hits it in the air to center field. Kenny Lofton trying to time the jump and. Let's move into the Cubs, which was my greatest, my greatest victory of 2019 was getting as much money as I possibly could on the under on the Cubs last year. Uh, it says here Vegas win total projection last year is 88 and a half. At one time was at 92 before I took a trip to Vegas and uh, went to Caesars for a couple hours. Uh, they finished up at 84 wins. Pathak says they should have had 90. So this year they are at 84 and a half at Westgate. Sean, your number is right on the dot with where the Cubs currently are. You're at 84. It doesn't look like many of the other projection systems differ that much at 82 for Davenport and 85 for Pakoda. Uh, there's a lot of key losses going on here. It just seems, I don't know if it's general management. I don't know if there's attitude in the clubhouse. There's a lot to talk about here because do Chris Bryant, does Chris Bryant want to be there? Does Anthony Rizzo want to be there? Like, I just felt like there was some discomfort between whether it was Madden or it was the GM or it was the players, or maybe the players are tired of, you know, having day games and not a practice facility. I, there's a lot going on here. What do you see from that perspective? Yeah, I think Madden had an issue with the organization and then Brian had a separate one. I mean, Brian's was more public because they held him back with his service time initially. He had filed an appeal recently to try to get that overturned so that he would be eligible for free agency next year. Cubs ended up winning that. So that that needed to be established before he could possibly be traded just because teams who are trading for him need to know whether he has one or two years left on his deal. Yep. So I certainly still expect him to get traded, whether it's this offseason, seems unlikely at this point, before the trade deadline, more likely, or perhaps even next offseason, right before he has one year left on his deal, just like the Mookie Betts trade kind of went down. They need to sign him, Rizzo, I believe Contreras, and John Lester all at the same time. I think you could throw Baez in there as well. They're going to have to choose and narrow down who they want to keep. It seems like he might have plateaued as a player. 
You know, he's, he's an excellent player. He's a really good hitter. He's been a negative defender for the past three years at third base. It's part of the reason my Madden shifted him to the outfield so frequently. So this is the time to trade him if he is another poor offensive showing. His value is only going to decline. My issue with this team is their rotation. Their rotation is really old. Quintana, Hendricks, Lester, they're all like 4.25 expected ERA guys. You know, nothing impressive. I think Darvish is going to have a good year. Darvish was excellent in the second half of last year. He, he had a 237 XFIP in the second half. So for him in, in drafts, you know, he, he always kind of frustrates. I've been a Darvish fan his whole career, though. So <laughs> worth, worth uh, giving another shot after the performance he put up. But the, his bullpen on this team is a disaster. You know, Craig Kimber, I don't know what happened with him last year after nobody would sign him and they came back, maybe not having a spring or harmed him. But uh, I, I took the under right here, 88 and a half right away. It's down to 84. I'm not going to touch it at this point. But they were expected to win 90 games last year based upon Pythag. Like, they, they could certainly exceed expectations. There's plenty of talent on this team. They just don't seem to have the the momentum and the the intention on improving themselves. I don't know. Maybe it just seems like there's different pieces of the organization that just plain old don't like each other. Now with David Ross coming in, you know, as, as the manager, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a big deal. I think that's a big thing for the clubhouse since he's, you know, get the good vibes going in the dugout, but I don't know what to do with the Cubs. I think the value, I mean, you can't really take an under on 84 and a half because they have the talent to be a 90 win ball club. So for me, that that's what makes it tough uh, to project these guys. You know, it's definitely a no play for me. Is it a no play for you? Because I think the next team is is a four and a half, certainly. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think you can do anything with that. And Votto lifts it in the air, center field. Gomez at the wall. Gomez leaps. Let's get to the let's get to the part of the podcast where I think there is going to be a play. Uh, that'll be on the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds finished uh, 2019 with a win total of uh, 75 wins. Vegas projected them at 78 and a half, so they came up a little bit short. Pythag says that they should have won 80, so maybe a little luck there involved. But why they didn't get to their win total? They're currently sitting in Westgate at 83 and a half, which I don't think is high enough. Uh, I think it's uh, you could shop around. I think there's some other places where you might be able to get uh, a tad lower than 83 and a half. But Sean, you project them at 86, just like the other projection systems that came out. Where do you want to start with the Cincinnati Reds? Do you want to go with what they've brought in? Do we want to go with who is excelling in their career? Do you, look, you want to start with the negative? I think Joey Votto's getting old and he doesn't hit home runs and he doesn't, his OBP might take a dive. Like what, what should we, what should we nitpick about these guys before we say the good stuff? Yeah, we could start with Votto. I mean, he's always been one of my favorite players. The back control, the eye, the attitude, never gives up an at-bat. He's declined from a six-and-a-half win player to a half-win player in a two-year span, which is obviously extremely concerning. He's been a negative defender for a few years. Lessened athleticism. So if they have a hole on their roster, a glaring weakness, it's him, which is surprising and unfortunate because he spent so much time biting until they had another competitive team around him. Uh, so, I, I, you know... As, as a baseball fan, I'm hoping that he has a bounce back year if they're going to be a good team. It'd be a shame to see him not be a part of it. You know, he doesn't even need to get hits. He could just come see a 15-pitch at bat and not pop up, and he can call it a day. Joey Votto is the new Sean Casey. People aren't aware the guy's popped up, like, under five times in his entire career. It's one of the most fascinating and best baseball stats. To, to have that much back control to be able to not pop up for several years in a row is just – I don't have any sort of comparison for it in any other sport. So let's let me set us up for why we like this team. Uh, the Reds made it clear their management came out and said that we are going to be buyers, and there's not a lot of teams in Major League Baseball that make it very public. Here we are with Moose, Nick Castellanos, 
Uh, you know, there's some other additions here I'll let you talk about, but I love the moves that they made. Now, defensively, I'm a little nervous, but from an offensive standpoint, I love this team. Yeah, until Suarez, so Suarez injured himself in a pool, um, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of similar to the Ioannis Cespedes falling in a hole because he got scared by a boar injury. So I don't really know what to make this Suarez pool injury, but I'm worried that he injured his shoulder and that he might not have his 49 home runs worth of power when he comes back. So that's something right. to keep in mind. They just re-signed Derek Dietrich to replace him temporarily, which I like. In terms of a fit around that, that means that Castellanos probably isn't going to get shifted to third base, which is good. He'll stay in the outfield for the time being. Uh, you mentioned Castellanos and Moose. So I think I think Castellanos is sitting on a career year. He had 40 expected home runs last year, finally got out of Detroit, started hitting them with authority in Wrigley, also seemed excited to be part of a pennant race. So... Castellanos, not only from a motivation standpoint, but also from a, a park standpoint, from a expected stat standpoint, seems like he's sitting on a career year. So if you want like the longest of long shot MVP bets, put a few bucks on it. I'll say from a points league standpoint, from like a roto and a points league standpoint, he hits a lot of doubles too. So this is a guy, OPS wise, if you do OBP or you do OPS, this is definitely his year. This is somebody that I think at the draft table, people are going to know he's going to be good, but I think he's going to be worth it for you to go an extra round or spend the extra bucks in an auction. He has 104 doubles the past two years. So that's just, I love guys who spread out the power. You know, there's guys who get 13 home runs and 40 home runs, whatever. Guys who's, who have the stat line of, of power with the 40 doubles, 10 triples, 25 homers. Like those are the guys I think can sustain their power growth going forward because they have it in a variety of areas and spray the ball. Uh, you know, in terms of questions with this team, so they, they signed Shogo Akiyama from Japan. He was one of the top position players in Japan for a long time. Defensive first, really good speed. It's going to be interesting to see how well he hits. Uh, we talked about Tsutsugo coming over to the Rays. You know, these these Japanese guys like Otani have been able to hit in recent years. So uh, how good is Akiyama? Curious to see that. Nick Senzel, what did they do with him defensively? Where did they stick him? He was about 10% below average during his rookie year. Scratch center fielder. I think they should try him at shortstop for the Galvis good glove. But if they can upgrade their shortstop spot with a real bat, that's a huge difference. You know, and Senzel doesn't really have a spot in center field with, with Akiyama there. So, uh, you know, the Reds, we, we hit for their division. I have a small World Series feature on them. I, I think they're plus 400 right now for the division at William Hill. I think that's extremely bettable. Three different projection systems, including my own, all have them as the division leader. So there's substantial value on this team to win their division. And, and be, you know, the NL Central favorite. We didn't even mention the coaching changes. They, they brought in Kyle Bayou yeah. from Driveline, worked directly with Trevor Bauer and all their minor league pitchers. They they're added their new pitching coach from the Brewers, who was the one who helped Wade Miley develop his cutter. They brought in Miley this offseason. So this team at a variety of levels is not only improving itself, but also catering to the players that they have on it, which I think is really interesting. Third-year GM you know, kind of getting his plan fully in place. So they, they seem smart about what they're doing. They've done a, a great job at finding pitchers even before body got there. And I think they're going to continue to improve them and get better outside the organization. Yeah. Andrew, Anthony D. Scalfini. Anthony D. Scalfini. So just call him Tony Disco. He's Tony Disco. Tony Disco, I think, may be one of the best fit starters in, in, in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, he's, he's, he's somebody you back with your money. He's somebody you draft in fantasy. This team was the very first purchase that I made uh, uh, as from a World Series standpoint at 50-1. to 1. 
I've since uh, invested in some division money. I've since invested in some win total money. Uh, the World Series number isn't there. That 50 to 1 isn't there anymore. But, uh, you know, if you can find good money on an NL, uh, check out Sean's article. Check out Sean's projections about what their true odds should be. But I think Cincinnati is something that you want to have in your investment portfolio going into this season. Absolutely. Nope. Long way to the wall in center field here. And Dyson! Let's talk about a team that's not going to be in our investment portfolio. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Last season, PNC Park is wonderful, by the way. Before I get into this, Pramani sandwiches are the best. Uh, PNC Park is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Very passionate fan base. But last season, 65 wins. Uh, Vegas win total was at 77.5. They massively underachieved. Pythag said they should have had 68 wins and not 65. Vegas has their win total out at Westgate at 71.5. Sean, you got them marked at 68. Some other projection systems a little bit higher, but still, it seems like everybody's under this 71 and a half. <laughs> I'll let you take it from here, but when I see key addition, Jared Dyson, that's your key addition, could be a long season. Yeah, they, they actually have some nice young position players. The more I looked at this team, the, the less I hated it, especially from a lineup standpoint. Like, they kind of have a fun young lineup. Brian Reynolds came up last year, did some cool things. Kevin Newman at shortstop played pretty well. Josh Bell has turned into a, a real major league, you know, professional hitter, 35 home run, 40 home run threat from both sides of the plate. That guy can mash. Chris Archer had a pretty good second half. So I, I think they can probably get some value for him in season. I still don't know why they traded Austin Meadows and other pieces for him. Oh, oh yeah, Tyler Glasnow, other pieces. Joe Musgrove had a three-win season, so he showed some nice things. But beyond that, they don't really have much rotation. Uh, Mitch Keller's, you know, a top prospect. I think he can do some, some stuff. You know, they, they have some, like I said, they have some nice young lineup pieces, but they are not completely loaded in the farm system. Uh, Cabrian Hayes is going to come up. He's, he's a nice two-way third baseman. I really like him a lot. He's probably a future gold glover. He's the best defensive third baseman of the minors. The real interesting guy to watch, the real question mark for me, is Gregory Polanco. He's still 28, 29, never really achieved his peak had a bunch of setbacks last year from a 2018 shoulder injury. So can Polanco get to his peak level? Can they actually get some value out of him and maybe trade him for something? That remains to be seen. He's he's really sort of disappointed through this point of his career. So uh, a guy that they expected a lot from when they had that potential outfield with him and McCutcheon and Starling Marte, now it's just him left and and it's never really panned out. Yeah, it's worth mentioning, you know, we talk about Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow out the door. It's worth mentioning that there is a brand new manager and a brand new GM here. So whatever mistakes were made in the past, uh, they have, they are long gone and it's a, it's a new regime here in, in Pittsburgh. So uh, probably no expectations for them to win this year. They're going to try to put the pieces of the puzzle back together from a fantasy standpoint. I know that Brian Reynolds in the outfield is his ADP is up around the one eighties. Uh, he is, the one fantasy player that I think is getting more noticed in drafts than usual. Um, other than that, this is a no play for me. Do you have any plays on Pittsburgh? No, there was uh, there was an under 73 and a half that was out there last week. I would have played that. I think it's been bet down under 60, you know, under 69, under 70, pretty much everywhere at this point. So no play for me unless you saw like a 72 and a half, basically.
Let's move on to the NL East. This is our last division to talk about. Uh, we, you know, the Washington Nationals are, I guess, not projected to win this division after after winning it all. So we'll start off with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, last season, the Braves finished up with 97 wins. Vegas win total was at 86. Uh, the Pythag says that they only should have had 91 wins, so they had overachieved by six games. Uh, Atlanta right now sits at 90 and a half wins. Sean, your projection is at 89. Other projection systems come in much lower than you and much lower than the 90 and a half that's currently listed at the Westgate. Yeah, this is a team that's kind of been hated on for the past few years. I actually bet they're under last year because everybody was pretty much pointing to them at around 85 wins when their total was up over 88, 90. So interesting. Um, just because I don't know what it is about the Braves that everybody's missing the the mark on in terms of their projection. They have a bunch of generational talents with Acuna and Albies and Freddie Freeman. Um, they have a ton of young pitching prospects and, and young pitchers who could develop into something nice. Obviously, they lost Josh Donaldson in the offseason. Uh, it's, you know, it's a big loss. He was great on both sides of the ball last year. Dallas Keuchel didn't really give them much. Julio Tehran was there for a while, always a bit enigmatic, but they they made some nice additions, adding Will Smith to their bullpen, Marcelo Zuna to the lineup. They can slide Austin Riley down to third base, probably split time with Johan Camargo. Um, you know, the the real question is who's going to emerge from their group of young pitchers to fill out the bottom of the rotation, and can they upgrade or can they get their third base spots and shortstop to improve? Dansby Swanson is kind of been a below average defender, which that was defense was supposed to be his carrying card when they got rid of Andrew Finn Simmons. So this is year three. Can he become a league average hitter? Maybe at least Reigns to be seen. Austin Riley was a prospect who really impressed me two years ago. His contact has kind of gone out the window, but I think no matter who takes the job between him and Carmargo, those guys could hit 25 home runs over the course of a full season. Cole so Hamels is already hurt though, right? I mean, it, it just adds into their rotation depth when he does come back, though. They, they've really turned their bullpen from a, a deficit into a strength. And I think you could say the same thing about the Nationals, who we'll get to in a moment. They've added Corbin Martin, Green, Will Smith, Mark Melanson all in the past year, really filled out that bullpen. They have some nice outfield prospects and, and depth outfielders like Ender and Ciarte just on their bench who can give them extra playing time. So it's a deep team. The more I look at this team, the more I like it. Um, I, I can't envision myself taking an under on this team. I, I think it's pretty close at the top between the Braves, Nats, and Mets. So any of these three can win the division. I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves won 95 games again. Yeah, they definitely have the offensive talent to do that. I know that I was looking here at uh, park factors of what we've seen out of Cumberland uh, the last couple of years, and it seems like not a big home run park. They they were uh, opened up at 27th in the league in home runs, and they jacked up to 15th last year. But that probably can be attributed to what they have offensive firepower wise. Um, and so it, it does seem to be more of a doubles park than it does a home run park. Uh, I, I I think the you know. Dan, getting anything out of Dansby Swanson would be nice. Uh, you know, Marcakis has been steady and consistent. I'm talking to speaking about how old some players are. I think Marcakis feels like he's been around forever. Addition of Marcel Ozuna just makes this offense. I mean, they're going to be able to score. They're going to be able to get some some runs on the board for this pitching staff. So, other than that, is there anything that we need to be paying attention to, say, fantasy wise, or you know, depth of their rotation wise, or you know, are, are there prospects that could be on the move for Chris Bryant? Uh, what do you think is going to the direction of this team? Yeah, so if they trade for Bryant, the Cubs would certainly want to reload with young pitching. So they they have yet another 
Anderson. I don't know if people are aware, but there's about 15 guys named Anderson who are pitchers in Major League Baseball. I actually made an infographic last year, so we could differentiate amongst all of them. So Ian Anderson will be added to that shortly, but he's a nice prospect with a bunch of different pitches. Just needs to work on his command. Bryce Wilson came up last year. Doesn't really have much secondary stuff, but he's an interesting prospect. Kyle Wright's probably my favorite of the three. He's, he's yet another Vandy pitcher, yet another Vandy college baseball player making his way to the big leagues. He's got a really nice delivery. He's got two breaking balls. His slider's really nice. Again, another guy who needs to work on his refining his command a little bit, but the Braves have a bunch of young arms. Tukey Desant, you can throw in there as well, who the Cubs might be interested in, and if not, I think they're going to find ways to stick them in their bullpen and, and the bottom of their rotation to make use of them throughout the season. I actually really like the way that uh, – you know, Fultonavich and, and other guys came on for the Braves over the course of the year. That's part of the reason why I like them to maybe surpass their win total even, just because their their younger pitching seemed to click towards the end of the year. Yeah, we mentioned Vandy pitchers here. Kumar Rocker won't be playing this year, but he will be next year. So that would be yet another Vandy pitcher that will be in there for everybody. But I do like this team. Uh, I think 90 and a half is – is maybe a little bit high. I, I would like to see it. I think they can absolutely win the division and they can give, you know, the Nats a lot of trouble. Uh, but for me, it's going to be a no play. Do you have any play on the Braves? No play totally? on the Braves for me. Okay, properly priced. One pitch on the way, swung on, and a high fly ball hits a deep right field again, and Ichiro goes back to the track, to the wall, and makes the leap and makes the catch! We're going to move on to the champs, to the Washington Nationals. Last year, they finished up with 93 wins. They had a Vegas win total set at 89. Uh, Pathag says they should have won 95, so they actually underachieved from what they actually uh, did from a win total perspective. Uh, Vegas, uh, Westgate specifically, has them at 90 wins on the dot. Sean, your projection is at 89. Seems like uh, the you know that Westgate maybe got it right. Yeah, I mean, some projection systems a little bit lower than me. Same with the, the Braves. I'm actually a little bit higher than the rest of the market, and we'll get to the second why. Lots of like about this team. They're really deep. You know, they added Sterling Cash from their infield. Obviously, lost Rendon, but added Will Harris to the bullpen. Have probably turned their bullpen into a strength now, adding Harris, Rowan S. Elias in season last year, Hunter Strickland, Ryan Harper this offseason. Um Eric Tame is going to get some more bats for them than he did in Milwaukee, possibly, which could be interesting for his fantasy value. I've also seen Kevin Long, their hitting coach, have a lot of success with left-handed hitters and getting more power out of them. So maybe uh, maybe Long can unlock Thames even further than he already is and get him back to his form from Korea. Um, in terms of you know what, what really concerns me with this team, it's the rotation behind their big three. So they have a guy named Will Crow, who's in the minors. He's a chance to be a number four starter. I really like what Austin Voth did during the year last year. Showed some nice velocity uptick like Crow did in the minors. So guys like that I think could be interesting for fantasy purposes just because I don't necessarily trust what they have at the bottom of their rotation. But this is a strong team. They have a lot of depth. They could replace a lot of injuries. Um, I think the fact that Rendon left and it leaves Soto more on an island by himself. I mean, he is Trey Turner there, but Soto is going to improve. Uh, he's, you know, an otherworldly star. Um, he's, I think he's younger than like 95% of the guys on the top 100 prospects list, which is hilarious. But <laughs> I think he's, he's a viable, viable bet for MVP. Right. Just because like Bellinger last year on the Dodgers, if that team has success, there's not many other 
big name offensive pieces or offensive pieces around him who are going to put up huge numbers. So Turner might put up some big numbers, but other than that, uh, I think Soto is, is a really interesting MVP candidate. And I think I already made a bet on him at around 15 to one. Yeah. And for years we thought Victor Robles would be the guy that would be the, the, the all-star MVP off this team. And, and, you know, Soto has been the guy that's going to carry the franchise reason why they didn't have a problem letting Bryce Harper go. So it's interesting to see that Fernando Rodney is no longer with the team and Hunter Strickland is in the bullpen. Do you have a gambling take about the new rules that were just thrown? I, I, I had no clue that this was coming, but do you have a gambling take on the fact that a relief pitcher has to stay in for three batters? So it's, it's only if they begin the inning, isn't that correct? Right. Yeah. So I don't think that that ends up happening as much as people think it does. I think only 14% of the time does a, you know, a guy who's a loogie come in and get stuck for the first batter and then, you know, get removed. So I don't think it's going to have as much of an impact ultimately as people think it does, especially adding a 26 man onto a roster. There's going to be teams who have more left-handed pitchers in general or more left-handed mm-hmm. pitchers on these rosters probably in general, and they could cycle them up and down from day to day. So um, it's, it's negligible probably uh, unless you, you only have one key left-handed reliever on your roster, then you're going to run into situations where you have to, maybe think for an extra second about wanting to play that guy. Can't tell you how many times I've had a bet on a middle reliever, or a, a long relief or a seventh and eighth inning guy, and they just don't have it. The second that they throw off the mound, they just don't have it. And you know what? Now we got to stay in there for a while. So uh, Hunter Strickland. For live betting some- purposes, you know, that's certainly something to watch. Like you see a guy Absolutely. come in and clearly doesn't have it. And you might be able to, to bet a run to score in that inning and plus money or, you know, even a more specific prop than just an over or under. So take a look at that for live betting purposes. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Hunter Strickland and Fernando Rodney have uh, both been curse words that have come out of my mouth in the past. Uh, do we have any uh, deliverables off of this off the Washington nationals or is there any uh, over under divisions, anything that we have bet on these guys? No, no bets for me. Uh, from fantasy perspective, I think we mentioned everybody except Carter Keyboom. Didn't mention Taylor Tyner Rainey either. Rainey could be a closer, potentially. You know, it's, this Nats bullpen has kind of shuffled everybody out. Hudson ultimately took the job. But Rainey had a 17% swinging strike rate, so he's somebody to watch for fantasy. And Carter Keyboom, you know, former first-round pick, top prospect. I think there's a good chance that he ends up with a third-base job by the time the season's over. Um, or even second base job. I mean, that's his more likely long-term future in startling cash stroke and handle third we've seen. So good chance that Carter Keyboom gets a lot of at-bats, and if he does, he's he's a viable rookie of the year candidate. High deep drive in the left field, down into the corner again, and attending near the wall, leaps, he's hung up, did he catch it? So let's go ahead and move on uh, to the New York Mets. This is uh, obviously Sean's favorite team as he sports them here on, on the podcast. New York Mets last year finished with 86 wins. Uh, their Vegas win total was projected at 85 and a half. So they made money for the people that backed them on the over. Pathag says that they should have won 86. So Vegas was spot on with their win total. Uh, it's exactly where they landed. And guess what their win total is this year? 86 and a half. So no matter what key additions and losses that we talk about uh, for a first year manager and a, and a second year GM, uh, it seems like Vegas got it right. Right. And that's exactly where they landed, especially with their Pythag. Sean, you've got them right at 87. It seems like uh, we've pretty much got these guys pegged. We can close the book on the Mets, right? Because it's all set in stone. 
So I don't know if you remember, but they, they actually went over their win total in dramatic fashion last year, a little walk-off home run on the last day of the season. Uh, yes, that some, was very... Some Action Network HQ members might have had a, a little bit of a taste of victory on the last day of the regular season there, even though the Mets didn't go to the playoffs, but... We should hang a banner in the office. Absolutely. No, no doubt. Yeah, we'll throw it up there next to our uh, our 101 golf futures that we've hit. Yes. Um. So the Mets, the, the Mets are, you know... Self-defining, you say the Mets and and people know generally what that emotion evokes, right? They have a very, very, very talented team on paper. On paper is the operative term there. They've always had talented teams on paper, which is why projection systems love them. Davenport has them at 93 wins. The initial Davenport projection had them at 96 wins. I was floored when I saw that. Pakota came in at 88 wins. They have a ton of wins above replacement on their team. I'm not sure offhand where Fangraphs had them, but this is a, a very, very strong 26-man roster. They're fourth in bullpen, wins above replacement, fourth in starter, wins above replacement. They have a lot of offensive pieces. You know, Pete Alonzo, obviously chief among them, but J.D. Davis had a monster season last year. Ahmed Rosario became a league average hitter last year. Michael Conforto is still due for his best career year. Brandon Nimmo, I think, is poised for a bounce back year. So they, they have all the offensive pieces in place. Added Dylan Batonsis to the bullpen. Filled out their rotation depth a little bit with Rick Porcello. Michael Walker in the pen is a 6-7 starter. Eduardo Nunez, a little bit of infield depth. It's a really good team. The question is, do they stay healthy? Because they don't have much depth, which is always the case. They have virtually no 40-man depth, no outfield depth. And what does Yoannis Cespedes give them? Cespedes has said that he's going to hit 50 homers and play in 140 games. Brody Van Wagen doesn't even know if he could walk. He's having him take reps at first base because he's concerned about his ankles. This season could go in a variety of directions. It could be yet another Mets disaster, which it's already started out with, with them having to replace a manager before he ever managed a major league game. Or it could be another run to the World Series like they had back against your Royals a few years ago. This is, it's, you know, they have a rotation that certainly fits the bill, like the Nationals did last year, making a run through the playoffs. DeGrom has won two straight Cy Youngs, looking to make it three in a row. So the talent's there. It's do they stay healthy? Can their medical staff not make guys more injured than they already are? You know, will ownership stay out of the way and let them let them play? Yeah, that 96 win projection from Davenport, that must have been a Rick Purcello Cy Young year. That must have been the best Marcus Stroman's ever been, a healthy DeGrom and Syndergaard. And Michael, I will say this though, you know, Michael Conforto, once he stopped being a platoon, and and I know that that was a problem with him and he verbalized it a lot, that he needed, he needed to be an everyday player just for his swing and consistency. And once he was, we knew that he was going to hit bombs once they quit messing with him and benching him and and uh, making him a platoon player. Uh, so I'm really glad that he's getting full-time starts from a fantasy perspective. I don't think last year was a fluke whatsoever. I think Conforto is a great source of home runs uh, in the league. And Pete Alonso is absolutely, if I was a, if I was a Mets fan uh, to have that, to have Pete Alonso on my team is just that that is a, a cornerstone of something you always want to have. And if you get full health out of Robbie Cano, then, you know, sky's the limit in the division here. Well, you know, hoping for a full health here. If you're going to place a bet on the Mets, you would want to have full health with some of these guys. You would need a lot out of Priscilla as your fifth starter. Edwin Diaz needs to return to what he was in Seattle in his best years when I think it was just two years ago when Colome was back him up. Dylan Batances, that's a, you know, he needs to stay healthy. I know there was some injury problems there with the Yankees. So other that's than that, the thing, do- like if, if all these guys perform as, as you would hope them to in a good year, this is a loaded team. It's just a question of how many injuries do they sustain? 
they don't want to be suspedist. Can you do that? Can you put a can you put a past tense on a, a suspedist and call them I'll suspedist? Let you do it. It, it yeah. works. It doesn't sound awkward. <laughs> I mean, he just seems to be so injury prone. Whether he's diving into the turf or if he's getting out of his car when he pulls up to spring training, it seems like there's always a uh, some sort of injury. Uh, so we'll see how that turns out this year. But yeah, full health. These guys can win absolutely win the division and contend. But from a win total perspective, with the Mets, the projections pretty much all line up. I, you know, Davenport. Pakota are over the 86 and a half, uh, but you got to have full health to, to, to get over that number. So for me, it's a no play. I think same for you, right, Sean? Just Yeah, it's a no play. You know, I've for fun as a, as a fan of the team, I've started maybe considering taking a small shot on the Mets at three and a half to one. If I see it pop, their, their best number is around 325. So if I see a 350 out there, I might take it. But uh, beyond that, yeah, no play for me. Absolutely. If you're a fan of a team, you should take their futures no matter what the hell's going on. I mean, if you're going to go to the gas station to buy a Powerball ticket, why would you not put money on your team to win the World Series? I mean, it worked for St. Louis Blues fans last year. It's interesting. As as a Mets fan, I haven't really processed Pete Alonzo yet. I mean, I've had a full year of him and he hit 53 home runs last year, but it doesn't feel like he is on our team and part of the Mets. I know he (laughs) exists. I know he's built into the projections, but it, it just doesn't feel real. It's too good to be true. Here's the pitch. Swing and a long one to center field. Hunter to the track. He's to the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He robs him of a home run. The Phillies, which is actually going to be our last team we're going to talk about here in the NL. We're not. We're uh, skipping the Marlins. We're, Why would we're, we we're skip the Marlins? Should we just skip to the Marlins now and say that we are not going to have money on the Marlins? Beautiful part, <laughs> right? I mean, they have the Bobblehead Hall of Fame. Uh, it's air conditioned on the inside. They got this stupid ass light up dolphin thing that goes off every time there's a home run. Which, thank God, I saw Christian Yelich hit a home run there with my kids because my kids only wanted to see the dolphin light up. Well, uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and skip to them, and then we'll save Phillies to end the podcast because we, we can cover the Marlins quick. Sure. Yeah, yeah so wants I'm to at, end a I'm podcast at... with the Marlins. No one wants no, to end with the Marlins. It's a terrible idea, honestly. Why you, we got to end the podcast with a bet. Yeah, absolutely. We have to have a bet. So I'm, I'll set it up here. We got 57 wins from last year. Vegas has them at 63 and a half. Uh, Sean, you have your projection at 64, which is right next to where the Westgate has it. Other projection systems think the Marlins are going to be good. You know, they. this is another team that the more you look at the roster, the less you hate it. If you compare the Marlins, <laughs> you the sound Marlins, like a guy in a bar. Like she's the only girl here. And the more <laughs> and the more I look at it, this is the one I got to hit on tonight, right? It's the more you that look 3 at it, I'm feeling. Yeah, but she exactly. looks better the more you look at her, huh? The later it gets, too. So the the Marlins, the Pirates, and the Giants, after going through all these rosters and going through all our AL rosters, if you gave me a total win total on the Marlins, Pirates, Giants, compared to the Orioles, Tigers, and Royals, I would clearly take the NL teams. Those those Tigers and Orioles rosters are barren compared to what these teams have in terms of upside. That being said, the the Marlins have the lowest wins above replacement amongst hitters in baseball, plus 10.8. Their bullpen sucks, but they have a lot of good young pitchers. Sixto Sanchez will probably be up this year at some point, top 20 prospect in baseball. He's going to be their best pitcher since Fernandez. They have some interesting young outfielders who are all kind of in AAA or AA. Monty Harrison, this guy who could be interesting for fantasy if he comes up. Nine homers, 20 steals in 56 games at AAA when he got up to that level. Uh, They have seven top 120 prospects. Guys who should get playing time, and if they do something, could be intriguing. But overall, yeah, there is no bet here. Uh, I would lean towards the over, but ultimately I'm not going to be betting an over on the Marlins. 
this team infuriates me. Like this is purely from a betting and a, and there's been a lot of Marlins unders I've had. Sometimes there's pitching matchups where I, I don't mind backing these guys and getting an under in there, but there's a lot of players on this team that from a betting standpoint and a fantasy standpoint, just infuriate me. Like Lewis Brinson, I thought was going to be unbelievable. Uh, he has not panned out that way. Uh, Jesus Aguilar, you always see this home run number over 20 with him, no matter where he's at. But what you don't understand is that he gets those in a, a span of 14 days. And then he goes on a 60-day bender of, of strikeouts. Jose Urena was a guy that I like it when he gets a spot start. He's a, he was a good underplay for me, but he, he does have the ability to be combustible. The roster just up and down for me is frustrating because you see the talent there, but it doesn't always pay off. And they're also uh, going to trade these veterans the moment they can get anything out of them. So it's, it's not like it's a team that's going to improve towards the end of the season. Is that the direction that Mattingly and Jeter are going to go? From a manager-GM perspective, is, is Mattingly and Jeter going to try to build anybody up, whether it's the veterans or whether it's one of some of these new kids coming up, the Monty Harrisons, the Sixto Sanchez's? Are they going to try to get a year or two out of them, show some progress, and show that they're serviceable to having a high ceiling and getting rid of them? Is that what the Marlins are trying to do these days? Or do they ever, you know, do they ever want to try to win again? They had a really nice pitcher in Zach Allen last year who clearly looked like their best player. They flipped him for Jazz Chisholm, who's a double-A prospect, who's really athletic and has a lot of upside because they're sticking to a plan of trading for as many athletic young players as they can, you know, and and hoping that that upside comes into something. So if if they think that a guy's hit his ceiling and they're not going to get much out of him and his, his service clock is already running. Yeah. You might see them flip guys for another year. I mean, how far out of their contention window are they? The, the Nats are going to be good for a while still, probably another few years. The Braves are set up to be good for probably eight year run. The Mets certainly have another few years in them. So the Marlins contention window probably doesn't start for at least two, three years at minimum. Let's switch over. No bets on the Marlins. Uh, no bets. No, bets on no, the Marlins. no divisions, no world series bets for, for the Marlins. No, not quite. Not quite yet. Uh, I'd lean over, but uh, like I said, I can't, can't possibly bring myself to do it. Are among three favorite picks by everybody. This hit a ton to center field. Back is Hamilton going up. Did he get it? He got it. He got it. Let's move on to the Phillies here who had the highest of expectations last year and the team that traded them, Bryce Harper, is the one that won the World Series. So a little bit of egg in the face there. Uh, uh, for, he did you know, say maybe. that Washington would win the World Series when he signed with Philly. That was yeah, his press yeah. conference. Yeah, it was a good way to hedge himself there, like, a, you know, just to give a little shout-out to the old Nats. So Philadelphia Phillies last year, they finished up with 81 wins. Vegas had them projected at 89. You could see that everybody had a had a Phillies over ticket and Phillies futures. Uh, Pythag says that of the 81 wins, they actually should have only won 79. Looks like the difference has been split. Westgate has their win total at 85 and a half. Sean, you're at 84, and the other projection systems seem to come in below that number. Do we think, you know, I'm looking at the list of key losses here, and, you know, I don't think any of these were big enough contributors to say, I mean, Mikel Franco and, and Drew Smiley for, you know, being limited, and Mikel Franco for being as inefficient as he was, especially from a defensive standpoint, and his, his stick would disappear at times. Why is it that the win total has been lowered? Is it just because it's come back to reality? I think so. I mean, you have three other really good teams in that division who are all probably a little bit better than them. So how many wins are really available for the taking when they have to go through those other three teams? They Maybe in the, the NL Central, they'd be the favorite. But in the NL East, they're probably the fourth choice. So this is a team that, you know, like I said, there were other rosters that I went through and 
became more confident in their chances or liked the roster more as I went through it. The Phillies had the exact opposite effect. There's a lot here that scares me. Didi Gregorius was a terrible defender last year after Tommy John surgery. He couldn't throw. He was, he was the worst defensive shortstop in baseball. Didi can, can absolutely hit. And that's the thing with their lineup. They have, a, they have a really nice lineup with a mix of power and speed as you go through their lineup one through eight. I think Aaron Noah is a little bit overrated. You know, he's, he's right. closer to a 3.75 XFIP guy than he is an ace. And same thing goes for Zach Wheeler. He's, he's about a 3.5 to 3.75 guy. So you don't really have a true top of the rotation arm. You have a couple of guys who are two starters. And then behind that, it fades off really quick. You know, Vince Velasquez hasn't put it together. He's closer to a 4.75 ERA guy. Jake Arrieta is like a 4.5 guy now. Zach Eflin's, you know, closer to Velasquez. So Nick Pavetta's completely fallen out of the, the rotation and is lucky to get any time and long relief out of the pen. Yeah, and even their bullpen, you know, we were talking about the, the Braves bullpen getting better, the Nats bullpen getting better. I think this bullpen is terrible. Um, Sir Anthony Dominguez looked like he was going to be a, a high leverage elite reliever. And last year, his velocity fell off and he couldn't strike guys out. So there's a lot that could potentially go wrong with this team. And at the same time, I don't see such a massive ceiling that I'm, you know, running out to, to bet on them to win the division. So with these other projections coming out, it's and seeing the roster, like, you know, I, I do all my projections first before I really rip through the roster one at a time. But after ripping through the roster and seeing these other projections, it's a team that I consider betting at under 86 on. Yeah, we have Pakoda at 77, Davenport at 81, Sean, you're at 84. And that those all those projections are below the current number of 85 and a half. And somebody in this division has to lose. <laughs> I mean, besides the Marlins, right? Of the of the teams that are all contending, the Braves and the Mets, uh, you know, I mean, somebody in this and the Nats, somebody in this division's got to lose. And and the Phillies may be the one, especially with the pitching that we just rattled off. They're absolutely uh Absolutely. A primary candidate to regress. I know from a fantasy standpoint, Scott Kingery has killed me for years, right? I mean, we thought this was 2020, uh, you know, every year that when he came up, uh, we thought that he would be the guy. What do you think about Scott Kingery this year? Yeah. So if he gets full at bats, which now that Michael Franco is out of the way, he is probably slated to, he projects as a 2020 guy. Uh, average a little bit lower than I thought it would be when he first came up. I mean, I've been on Kingery since he was first given that extension to be a full-time player. His minor league numbers backed it up. He was one of the top defenders in the minor leagues, which you would expect would keep a guy in the lineup. So always been high on Kingery. Uh, I think there's a little bit of post-hype territory with him now to finally seize on his prospect status. Uh, we, we skipped over it before, but the same really goes for Ian Happ with the Cubs. I think now that Happ's in year three and proved that he's an above-average hitter last year and has more room for – playing time, I think he could break out in a post-type point of his career as well. So, Kingery's going to be a guy I'm targeting, just like I am with Hap. They also have a young pitcher named Spencer Howard, who I think they could call up to really fill out their rotation. He was throwing about 99 miles an hour in there. He's on a fall league, showing improved command. So, he's another top 100 prospect. I believe one of the only few that they have in their system, they have Alec Baum as well, who could make it up this year at third base. So, maybe Baum, you know, if, if Kingery doesn't Fulfills potential. Alec Baum, Wichita State guy, can uh, can make his way to the big leagues. But other than that, Kingery, Spencer Howard, the two guys I'm looking at from this team. Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to look at possibly taking an under here. I think you've convinced me that I'm going to get an under here on this team. Uh, and definitely it is the, you know, they don't have 
the same. This they don't have a Pete Alonso. They don't have what the Braves have with Acuna and some of the other hitters on that team. They don't. They don't really have some of the sticks to keep up. Uh, you know, with some of the offense with the other teams in the division, and. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to roll with this just from a pitching standpoint. Cause I, I've never believed in Jake Arietta as he continues to get older. Uh, and so I'm going to roll on an under here with you and anything, do you have any uh, bets uh, currently on the Phillies or do you think that it's going to be one of those play it before first pitch or play it as the season goes along or just play yeah, it on day to day? Yeah, yet. Um, you know, I, like I said, I had the NL pretty or the NL is pretty close together based off of my projections solely. And now that I've physically gone through the rosters and looked at what they have and seen the other projections come out, I've, I've become convinced that I like this team uh, less than, than their number. Yeah. I think DD is worth a mention though, because from a defensive standpoint that does, I mean, just because I like DD in fantasy, because I think that there are parts of Yankee stadium for the direction that he was hitting. Some of his power was zapped a little bit. And I think here at citizens bank, he can actually he can take it over the fence plenty of more times. So uh, from that perspective, I like DD, but DD's defense does matter when it comes to betting a win total on a team. So I, you know, fully I'm going to be looking to take DD in my fantasy drafts, but at the same time, I'm going to be fading this team and taking under after I do a little bit of shopping and you guys can download the action app, take a look at that. And we will get our futures in there. I know I added a, our A's future in there last night. You guys can uh, get your futures in there and tell Sean and I on what we're doing and uh, see if we can get stuck to put in a win total. I think sucky. I don't know if sucky likes to do win totals. He told me it's too long to wrap some money up on a, on a team winning game. So we'll see if we can get him to join us. Let's talk about our favorite NL bets. Um, we'll start off with what is our favorite? If we had, if we had to bet one player uh, right now from a fantasy perspective, someone that we think is got plenty of value in the market uh, and they're not, you know, they're not being taken high enough. Who is it that we would want to take in the, in the national league? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh slam and Sam Hilliard from the Rockies. Uh, this guy's six foot five, 240 pounds. He looks like an NFL tight end. He's really toolsy. He's got a lot of swing and miss in his game, but he put up 42 home runs and 24 steals between AAA and the majors last year. That's no joke. And he gets the hit in Colorado. That team I don't think is going to be great. They've kind of soured on Rymel Tapia as a prospect. You know, he's another toolsy guy who they wanted to give opportunities, but he's a horrendous defender and hasn't really put it together offensively. So I think they're going to give Hilliard every opportunity in the world to really contribute here and, if he works his way up the lineup, if David Dahl misses more time, which he's done in the past, there's there's a lot of opportunity for Hilliard to have a really nice season and, and really surprising people. I mean, look at what Trevor Story has grown into in terms of his power-speed combination. You know, you're, you're getting a similar type of profile in the outfield with Hilliard. Boy, talk about a guy that took the league by storm with Trevor Story. I'm going to go with Nick, Nick Castellanos uh, for the Reds. He's being drafted uh, around 59th right now for his ADP. Uh, that, you know, in a, in a standard Roto 5x5 in a 10-team league, uh, that translates to a late fifth-round pick, but I would absolutely take him in the fourth round. I'd scoop him up, and I, I would probably get a little bit nervous uh, that he might even last for the fourth round because he's going to become a hot name on draft nights. But – he is going to put up massive numbers there for Cincinnati. So that is definitely uh, one of the one of the players I'm definitely going to be looking to draft a little bit earlier. Um, as far as a win total perspective, is there any other is there anything else that uh, we think out of the NL that we would want to bet? I'd still play Arizona over 82 and a half. I'm comfortable with that. You know, I'm, I'm higher than the rest of the market on them, but I, I do like the way that this team looks on paper. We mentioned the Phillies, you know, towards the end of the podcast. 
Other than that, on win totals, I think I'm pretty set in the NL at this point where the market settled. Yeah, I mean, for me, we've talked about the Reds, about how I like everything with the Reds, with their futures, their division futures, their win totals. You know, I think for me, a team that I would want to take a bet on for from a win total perspective, I'm going to go against the San Francisco Giants. I know Sean said here during the pod that he kind of liked what he saw out of the roster, but, you know, losing uh, Madison Bumgarner, losing Will Smith, pretty big things that are coming out of the pen. I don't think this is a team that is going to be buying at the break whatsoever. I said this in the American League podcast. It's like there are certain teams I think you can you could pretty much figure out if they're going to be buyers or if they're going to be sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, and this is a San Francisco team. I don't think for any reason will be anywhere close to the Dodgers. I think other teams in the West are going to probably be ahead of them. Their pitching, I don't think, is going to be as efficient. They're not going to be buyers at the break. And what that means is there's going to be a lot of extra kids that get the call up on September 1st for their cup of coffee. And I mean, if you're going to bet on an over with them, you're going to say that, you know, you're going to say that Drew Smiley is going to be healthy. You're going to say that Buster Posey is going to be efficient behind the plate. You're going to think that Brandon Belt hits the entire season instead of just being streaky all the time. Just not a roster that screams that they're going to challenge for anything whatsoever. Giants last year had 38 wins in one run ball games and they went 13 and three in extra innings. That just can't happen again. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty unbelievable what they were able to pull off last year. And I just don't think this is a year that the San Francisco Giants are going to be buying, so I'll take an under here. Sean, what do you got from uh, a futures market perspective? Is there anything that, that – I, I know we've mentioned the Reds, but is there anything else from a division or a World Series perspective, maybe that you haven't bought yet, but maybe that you got your eye on that you may buy by the end of spring training? Um, if I saw anything over 50 to one on either Cincinnati or Arizona, I'd add more, you know, I have Arizona at 66 Cincinnati, I believe at 50. So anything like that, that would pop, I would just add more on those two teams. Cause I happen to like them to make the playoffs, you know, either divisional for the reds or uh, wild card for the D backs. So other than that, uh, you know, I know we discussed the reds in, in depth, as these other projection systems have come out and sort of agreed with where I had my assessment on them, I've considered adding more on Cincinnati. You know, I think if I had to pick a singular team to upset their division based on the odds that are out there amongst the six, the Reds look like the clear choice. So Cincinnati, uh, there's a chance I'm pushing the chips all in on this team. I agree. I agree. Now, the team that I'm going to place another bet on is not from a World Series perspective, uh, although I will have my eye on them anytime that they have some sort of losing streak during the season, which I don't expect there to be much. But one bet that I do want to make is if the Dodgers happen to creep up a little bit more here over the next month as pitchers and catchers report and we get into spring training and people are Dodger crazy about this team. Is this team good? Yes, they're great. Uh, I mean, from a from a paper standpoint, the lineup, the pitching, how deep they are on the farm, they have everything. But at the same time, we talked about the stat, the teams that have win totals in the preseason that are over 100, they're over. Uh, they don't go over their win totals. And so 100 and a half is, is quite a bit. Pakoda has it at 103. Uh, Davenport 100, you're at 100, and we're at 100 and a half. So I'm going to shop. And, and once – you know, the craziness of spring training is going on and it looks like the Dodgers are full strength. I'd say somewhere around the middle of March, if that number gets up around 102, 100, 102, 102 and a half, I'm an absolute buyer on the under. Not that I want to be, but the number's just way too high. Yeah, you remember two years ago, they they had that huge swoon in April and their, their World Series odds went way up. Their divisional odds, I think they became an underdog at some point and they bounced all the way back and ended up winning 91 games. Their total was 96 and a half that year. So they didn't clear the bar that year. 
all it takes is an extended losing streak at any point in the season to push you under. And at 103 wins, if you're talking about it getting all the way up there, that's an extremely high bar to clear. So, yeah, uh, don't love my my under at 100, but if it got to 102, 102.5, might have to consider adding more. With Pocota going to 103, I think there is going to be more over money come into the market and the number is going to tick up. So I'll keep my eye on that. And uh, probably sometime around March Madness when I'm around Vegas hopping around casinos again, I'll, I'll be shopping around for that 102.5 or 100. Just don't lose so. the tickets. Just, I know they're in a safe. <laughs> All the tickets, I get tickets across so many sports sitting in the safe at the house there. So even if there's a fire, we're good to go. That is going to do it. We're going to wrap up the National League podcast. Uh, we hope everybody enjoyed this. Uh, if you didn't listen already, you can check out our American League podcast. Uh, make sure and rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, pass it along. We don't know if Sean and I are going to be back during the season or if there's going to be a steady MLB podcast, but we will figure that out. And uh, you know, good luck on your bets and, and, and play ball. Make sure to see you at the Home Run Derby at the latest. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, that'll do it. Good luck on your best this season. And remember, always take a Sunday under on getaway day. It's free money, right? <laughs> Love it. We're finished talking.